Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Populist uh, People's Voice Network. We just changed our name. Uh, and we have a very special guest. And I wanted to start by giving you a little bit of background on what we're doing and why we're talking to this person. Um, anybody who's been on the internet has seen terabytes of wasted words and internet firestorms about what constitutes free speech and the abridgment thereof. And there's no clear consensus other than, you know, whatever a particular person seems not to like. But I think, and we think, that one of the only clear and unambiguous examples of a breach of the First Amendment happened last week, with the complete removal of RT America from US airwaves and the internet at large. And in the case of our guest, not just work on the channel in question, but other work completely unrelated. Unlike other accusations of impingement on free speech, this action was taken by our government in a time of jingoistic backlash against a perceived enemy, one against which the American empire has been beating the drums in ways large and small since an alarmingly short period of time after the Second World War. Unlike every slippery slope argument that may or may not be valid, this is an obvious and unalloyed attack and targets not only Putin, but some of the prime voices against imperialism, corruption, and war in every country. And it's based in this country, but it's gone largely unnoticed for some reason. And since it came, as it does, wrapped in the same tattered and bloodstained flag responsible for the world's worst crimes. Here to talk about this with us is the host of shows like Redacted Tonight, Moment of Clarity, and Common Censored, one of the only left voices who has always and without fail spoken up for peace and the rights of all people and left no one out. Uh, we are really happy to welcome Lee Camp. Hi, Lee. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thanks for such a kind intro. Well, that made me feel a little better. <laughs> uh, we're, we're trying. We're trying. Um, I, I, it's, I mean, you know, uh, just really, really sorry to hear about what happened. And it is, uh, we need a word for things that are like not surprising, but still really fucked yeah. up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like totally to be expected. Um, so uh, we've got a few questions for you. And the first one is going to come from uh, our good friend here, uh, Zabralin. Hey, Lee. Um, my uh, question was, did you think that the global rhetoric around this, uh, the, this Russian, this Russian phobia and just anything, just canceling anything Russian would ramp up this fast? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of amazing when the U.S. war machine, and I know it's funny people hear that right now and they go, wait, the U.S. stands against war. But in fact... <laughs> And I can right. I can go more into this in a minute if you really want to, but Please. they want to they want to see this war continue. They want to see Russia bogged down in Ukraine, killing uh, civilians for years if they could have it. But anyway, it's amazing to see when the U.S. war machine ramps up at full blast, uh, what can be achieved in just a small amount of time. I mean, the immense hated hatred of anything or any one Russian, even if they have nothing to do with Russia, even if they've lived in the United States for years, uh, even if even if it's just uh, what was it? The Russian the, the something cat society said Russian breeds wouldn't be uh, listed in their books anymore. Oh, wow. uh, I mean. It's just amazing. It, I, I, I mean, I'm the only one I've heard uh, use this term, so maybe I coined it. But to me, it's toxic nationalism. It's nationalism used to create a hatred of other peoples, no matter what they stand for, no matter who they are, no, no matter whether they were one of the people holding the guns in the battle or they were completely against the battle. I mean, we hate, apparently most Americans claim to hate all Russians now, even though there's thousands of people protesting against war in Russia. 
do you hate those people as well? It's, I mean, it's toxic nationalism is just, it's a unintelligent, simple way to look at the world. And yet it's useful. It's why the media, our jingoistic media is, is putting this forward right now. It's, it's useful in so many ways to the U.S. empire. Yeah. I mean, it's, as much as any uh, nationalism can be said not to be toxic is a good question, but toxic nationalism <laughs> is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, Z, you want to continue off that thread? Yeah. Um, can you go over a little bit what it was like that the when how RT went over that they were going to be uh, shutting down the, uh, the American uh, front? Sure. And, and just to give a little background for people that, that don't know me or don't know RT America, uh, I'm an American in America writing about American news, writing and performing about American news. Uh, longtime comedian, anti-war, anti-imperialist, uh, been standing for the same stuff since before I had my show, uh, which it lasted eight years, 375 episodes. And RT America did not have a clear, like, political viewpoint. They had many, uh, they had some left-wingers like uh, Chris Hedges, myself, uh, Jesse Ventura, and they had some right-wingers uh, that, that I disagreed with almost everything they said on the air. The only thing that maybe united uh, these shows on RT America was that pretty much all of us were outside of the Overton window, outside of the acceptable corporate uh, talking points that can be spouted on your mainstream media. And that's why most of us were there. Uh, so I just wanted to give that background. So, yeah, we were this uh, this past week. Uh, everything seemed to be running fine at RT America on Tuesday. Uh, I was creating my show for that week. There was no sign that any trouble had uh, arisen and then beginning of wednesday there's some frantic meeting among managers and they say there's going to be no filming that day of anything uh but they're going to meet with us the following day thursday and then we come in thursday and we're told it's all over everything's over uh you know pack up your wow. stuff and head out there is not a single whisper of they could be back not a whisper of once we find the money we'll uh bring some people back none of that which makes me think Again, this is speculation. You know, people have said, you know, what proof do you have of that? I don't have proof. This is speculation that it must have been U.S. sanction related because there's no sign that RT America, which is under a uh, American corporation, didn't have money to operate for at least months, if not a year, uh, without incoming money from Russia. There's no sign that there was a lack of staff to, to put on shows. Even if they did lack staff, you would assume they'd cut back to maybe just a few shows. None of that. It was just instantaneous uh, cessation of, of all programming. Wow. I mean, it, it just seems so obvious and clear, right? That it, this, you know, yes, it's speculation. We have to say it's speculation not to be accused of putting out mm -hmm. false information. But I mean, how much clearer could it be? And I just wanted to tie what you just said into the stuff that wasn't on RT America, that like the, you know, the shows on Spotify. Oh, yeah. So so it's kind of a multi-platform, cross-platform uh, uh, censorship, which should terrify everybody. It doesn't matter whether you liked my show or not. Uh, within three days my uh, of each other, my show was canceled, obviously. The uh, videos, YouTube videos of that show were banned throughout the EU and Europe. As far as I last heard, that continues to be the case. And my personal podcast, Moment of Clarity, which airs some audio of Redacted Tonight, but is not connected to RT America, is not owned by RT America, nothing. Uh, that was deleted from Spotify. And that all happened within three days. 
Um, of course, this is on top of other censorship I faced. My my Facebook, which is a pretty massive page, had has been shadow banned since 2016. Hardly anyone sees the posts. Um, and and so, you know, th this should upset people if they want to have a legitimate discourse among the American populace, uh, which is supposedly what a democracy is supposed to be. You know, you have you have informed uh, voters, exactly. but we can't have informed voters if you're not allowed to be anti-war you're not allowed to be anti-imperialism on our airwaves on not even just on our airwaves but on our internet uh it's it's insane that that these talking points can be shut down so easily and you know th this is not it'd be one thing if they were like well uh this person was espousing violence telling them to go you know kill people or something but this is the exact opposite this is a you know i've been an anti staunch anti-war anti-imperialist anti capitalism voice for years now of course those ideas when you really get down to it they don't that's an anathema to the to the corporate state it is it, i'm viewed as like a leper to the to the corporate state because <laughs> i don't put profit before human lives and uh yeah. and that's the real reason i'm censored yeah i mean it's pretty terrifying i mean i i mean i'm absolutely terrified by this and like i said in the beginning like yes. this is so clear that this is the censorship that everyone has been arguing about and the fact that it came for you and like you said other people who are outside the overton window i remember even like tom hartman had his show on rt and like yep. left um a few years back um and you know this is not this is the government doing it and it's not you know and it wasn't even like under cover of darkness or anything just out in the open and why do you actually, you know, before I do that, um, Luden, Luden has a question for you. Yeah, so back to the topic of like having different voices on the uh, left and right. How do you think would be the best way to form a working class coalition to combat this kind of censorship? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't claim to be an organizer. I often talk about how amazing organizers are and, and how important that job is. Uh, so, you know, getting people together to uh, not tear each other apart on small issues is uh, no easy task. Definitely hurting cats. But in terms of in terms of fighting this type of censorship, I think we have to build up the alternate platforms that are largely uncensorable. You know, that doesn't mean allowing uh, things we can all agree are horrible, like child porn or something. But largely, uh, is, you know, as long as it's not promoting violence, et cetera, is uh, free speech and, and can't be censored. Um, there are examples of this, things that are decentralized and the government cannot shut them down. Um, and so there, there's examples, you know, one, one of them that's building right now is called Panquake and it's going to be a Twitter competitor that, that is uh, blockchain connected and not can't be censored. Um, and so we've got to build up those alternatives while using the tools that are still available for activists. So I don't tell people to delete their Facebook and Twitter and run out in the streets and say, oh, well, I'm just a sidewalk activist. I, I say, let's let's use the tools that are there, but they are disappearing quick. Uh, you know, I I remember the days of Occupy when when the media was far more free. The, I mean, the Internet was far more free and the, the ruling elite learned their lesson from Occupy, from the Bernie Sanders movement, from Black Lives Matter, from the, the Arab Spring, from WikiLeaks. They learned their lesson that the Internet was too free and information was being exchanged too quickly, uh, which allowed uh, people to put forward the ideas that hadn't formally been kept out by gatekeepers on, on your three news stations on television or whatever. And that, that information was spreading quick. 
And it, it, they, you know, they learned their lesson and now they're trying to get everything kind of crushed down back into a small box that they can control. And we're, we're seeing it right now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so this makes me also think of um, uh, Mastodon is another one where it's like yep. decentralized and, you know, you couldn't possibly take it all down because it's just like separate instances and you could just keep popping them up elsewhere. Um, and also, this basically brings up the conversation of something that we talk about uh, on the channel, which is dual power, which is using the existing structures while building parallel structures to eventually replace them. But yeah. like, you know, you got to stay on them in order to siphon people off and show them and also show them that there is an alternative because people yeah. are really hesitant to leave the big ones, even though they know they're being surveilled and they're having their brains hacked. Like they, they just stay there because it's easier and that's where all their friends are. Um, so how do you yep. think that we can, um, you know, how do you think that we can spur people to do that? And how do you think that we can use this uh, extremely bad and terrifying moment to to get pe to get more people active in that way? Well, part of it is to not tear ourselves apart in uh, in small disagreements. You know, there, there's a CIA handbook on how to that's been leaked on on how to interrupt uh, activist movements or communities. And it, you know, it, it's got all of those things in there, like uh, tell, you know, try and, you know, you, you infiltrate it and then you try to create bickering. You try to, to get them uh, to argue over small issues forever so that nothing ever gets done and et cetera, et cetera. And you see this in the the online activist community, those who are trying to uh, make a better world. And it's just the easiest thing to to do we we need to realize when we have a shared goal let's say that's you know anti-war or something and unite for that and not pick each other apart for for every small issue you know unite against censorship and and not pick each other apart for every issue um not yeah. not decide you know that that oh i'm only working with the most virtuous people in the world well okay you'll eventually be with four people and you'll have to <laughs> try and create change like that now that doesn't mean you can't have a line you know i'm not gonna sit down right. and team up with nazis you can you can have a line but it <laughs> it shouldn't be a million little lines that may basically draw you into a corner um, but in terms of spurring people onto these alternative uh, platforms, and obviously you got to create great content. That's part of it. Uh, create yeah. great stuff that that really matters. And uh, and you know I, I I wish it weren't this way, but you also often have to make it entertaining. Uh, you can't can't right. just uh, lecture people on the right way to be. Um, <laughs> and and you know that's been my goal as a as a comedian, as a leftist comedian, is to. Yes, talk about all these issues, but have fun. Have fun doing it. Uh, you know, I believe it was Emma Goldman said, "I don't want to be part of a revolution that doesn't involve dancing." Yes. So let's yes. let's let's have some dancing. <laughs> um, I love it. And also, um, anyone who is watching, if you have questions, please put them in the chat. And uh, if they're good, uh, we'll ask them. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Who cares? No, no guarantees. Um, <laughs> Lee, uh, I want to. Since we're in the middle of it, I want you to tell people. Uh, now and then again at the end where they can find you just to make sure we have it, you know, clear where people can find you and support you because they absolutely fucking Thanks. should. Yeah, it's really kind of you. Uh, so I, I've, I've just created this week patreon.com slash Lee Camp. I had loved being, you know, funded by something that I didn't have to uh, put things behind a, a paywall or anything that was that was a, a great a great time and and for many years i would take all of the super chat donations and donate them back into to people that uh needed help and 
and you know we made it very clear that's what we were doing um unfortunately now i'm in the situation having been deplatformed that i created patreon.com slash lee camp uh if i get enough members i can create something that you know it will never be redacted tonight again but it will be something similar same message same passion same uh, uh important issues covered and that is my goal if i can get there um, that's awesome. And so, so Patreon is the main, the main place to find you at the moment. Are there any, um, you know, is there any of your work that hasn't been taken down that people can still find any shows that oh, yeah. are still existent? Extant? Oh yeah, ab absolutely. Uh, so the redacted on YouTube is not banned in America, only, oh, okay. <laughs> only, uh, UK and EU. <laughs> so if you want to watch Redacted Tonight in America, it's youtube.com slash redacted tonight. Uh, my um, uh, personal YouTube page is youtube.com slash moment of clarity. And uh, leecamp.com is, I guess, the best place people can just find uh, all my stuff. Uh, that and the Patreon. Yeah. Can I ask um, one question? Yeah. What was your favorite uh, segment that you did on Redacted? Oh, man. No one's asked me that. Uh, that's... That's a tough one. I have so many favorites. I, I loved, I relished doing the issues that, that like you just didn't hear almost anywhere. Like, you know, talking about how insane national borders are talking about, uh, uh, you know, how insane our prison, our, uh, our prison colony state is the fact that we're the largest prison state in the world, both per capita and per sheer number. Uh, you know, those type of issues that you just didn't hear anywhere. I'm, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the horror show of factory farming is one that barely gets mm -hmm. any coverage. Um, and uh, what was the other one I was going to say? I don't know. I, lo I love the I love the numbers when I when I come across the numbers that just blow your mind. For example, the twenty one trillion dollars of unaccountable adjustments uh, or unaccounted for adjustments at Hang the on. Pentagon over the past <laughs> 20 years, $21 trillion is an unimaginable amount of money. It's like, if you make $40,000 a year, you'd have to work for something like 500 million years to, <laughs> to, to make, I think $1 trillion. Uh, and it's, it's just insane amounts. Another one is the fact that they did, they, they added them up recently, did some analysis. The estimates are that over the past 20 years with our war on terror, we've killed 6 million people. Uh, 1 million direct deaths and 5 million indirect, meaning the society gets destroyed. People can't get clean water, get food, get medicine. And when you add it all up, you get six, 6 million dead. And, you know, suddenly Americans care about Ukrainian civilians, which they could, which they should, but they should also care about the civilians we're currently killing in Afghanistan, yeah. in Yemen, in Syria, in Venezuela with economic war. Uh, it's just, why, why, why are we not caring about all these people equally? Hmm. I mean, I've got a few ideas, but we, we'll, leave, we'll leave that for, <laughs> for and, and, our, and in our own borders and outside and within and outside our own borders. So, yeah. 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 It's true. It's true. Our imperialism turns here's, inward here's, and out. Here's another number for you I was proud to bring on to Redacted tonight. Uh, so, there's 15, in the middle of this pandemic, there's 15 million people facing eviction behind on rent. Uh, there's half a million. Uh, that are homeless or more but uh how many empty living spaces are there in america being completely unused 17 million so literally we could give everyone a house or an apartment and it would not intrude on anyone else's space but instead obviously that's not how capitalism works 
Right. Um, so let's see. Do you, want, do you want to take a question from the audience? Sure. All right. Uh, you can read it, Luden. All right. Wondering if Lee thinks there will be issues for people looking for work that were formerly with RT. Does he think that they'll be affected with stigma or that connection to RT? I definitely think that's true if they, I mean, if they were behind the scenes, maybe not too much, maybe a little bit. Um, I definitely think it's true if they were looking to, you know, they're like a news anchor that didn't really care what network they were at and they were looking to go on to CNN or Fox News or whatever. Uh, I think those networks are going to go, oh, you were at RT? No, your brand is tarnished by the scarlet letter we've tattooed on your forehead. Um, I, I think that is true. Luckily for me, I know that what I do would never be allowed at any of those channels. Um, it would never be allowed on any really of your corporate American airwaves. So while it will keep me from doing that, I would never want to do that. So I'm not too worried about it. You know, uh, others like uh, Chris Hedges, who was a 10 year war correspondent for the New York Times, Pulitzer Prize winner. But he was at RT America because when he came out against the Iraq war, he was pushed out at the New York Times and he was really, uh, you know, a leper as as the corporate and legacy media would view him. So, you know, he was at RT America because the, no other outlets are going to have such a thing on their airwaves. Uh, yeah. and, and so, you know, those of us who were there for that reason know that, yes, there's a there's a tarnish on us, but we never expected to be at those outlets anyway. That's real. Um, what, and what would you say to, you know, the average centrist in order to get them to recognize that this is a giant problem, right? Like, you're, you were outside of the media duopoly, so, it, you know, that's probably why it's escaping the attention of a lot of the, like, CNN or Fox, conversely, audiences, right? Um, what do you think we should say to those people in order to get them to, I don't know, care, do something? <laughs> or do you think it's not possible, you know? I mean, sometimes it has to be done slowly. I, uh, I'd love for it to happen in one sentence, but it's sometimes the type of thing where a person has to slowly be introduced to ideas that are outside the mainstream and see how, how important they are and things like that. But I, I'd say, you know, that the, the quickest way is probably to talk to them about the fact that this does not stop with RT America. Uh, RT America is one of many people and outlets that have been crushed over the past several years. Uh, people have been deleted. There was one day, I remember talking about this story that did, got very little coverage. Uh, there was one day like three years ago where Facebook purged or deleted 800 pages in one day. And those wow. pages included things like Free Thought Project, Police the Police, an anti-police brutality site, yeah. antiwar.com, uh, anti-media. All these sites get purged on one day and Twitter simultaneously suspends all of their editors, meaning there is some sort of discussion between these so-called competitors, Facebook and Twitter, about crushing these pages. And, you know, that type of censorship is truly troubling because that's not just some algorithm that uh, accidentally hit all these pages at once. That is a clear discussion between the tops of Twitter and Facebook. Wow. Um, this kind of coordinate, yeah, it, it has to be coordinated. And like, you know, it's you sound like a conspiracy theorist when you say it to people, but it's like, there's people are clearly conspiring. Like, right. you know, it's only a theory because we can't prove it and we can't prove it because they have control over everything. So I it's kind of like- tin foil hat on and- Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just keeping my tin foil hat on from now on. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense not to. 
Um, so we're going to, you know, we've got just a few minutes left. Uh, I want to ask you a non-political question. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite way to pass time these days? You know, what like music? Is it games? Is it, you know, what, what, do you, what does Lee do in his spare time? Uh, just hours of pickleball. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but I'm, I think I'd, I'd rather it, not. I'll just make it up. It, it's head. some sort of bastardization of tennis. It's like, it's like ping pong if you stood on the table, basically. Um, huh. But I've never, actually, I've, I've never actually played it. But uh no i mean i i mean i'm in a lucky place that that my passion is my work and mm -hmm. yes i do need to like tune out sometimes but when when i was really able to create my show i was able to create comedy and the creating of comedy felt like both my job and my fun and so yeah. uh i thoroughly enjoyed it but you know uh, outside of that it is uh it's it's hanging out with people and uh Definitely drinking. I'm a big fan of alcohol. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's 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 catching on with a lot of people. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a new thing, right? Yeah, new, new, new thing. And 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 yeah. So so that is it. I mean, I'd say if I had more time, I I would definitely enjoy reading more. Uh, I love reading philosophy, but unfortunately, haven't had a lot of time recently. Um, we've got oh. a well, one more question. I got another question. Um, can you speak on how to keep positive during this time we are in with this level of censorship in the world kind of burning? How do we keep uh, revolutionary optimism? Didn't you hear the part about dancing? God <laughs> damn it. No one's listening to me. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't like as a, as a, as a, as a comedian and I get a lot of people just view me as a straight up journalist, but you know, I still view myself as a, a comedian journalist. Um, I, I really think that like there has to be laughter. There has to be fun. And sometimes I find myself losing it and I, I have to remind myself like, oh yeah, this should be, this should be a good time as you're, as you're fighting for these things. I I've known so many, you know, I, I've been an activist for uh, coming up on 20 years and I've known so many activists that were just amazing, just firebrands. And you're like, this person's incredible. And then two years go by and you never hear from them again. And mm. it, the, the, the burnout yes. is, the burnout is so extreme if you are just 24-7 living and bleeding every uh, person that is crushed under this imperialist uh, capitalist government. Like if you're if you're never taking a break and feeling every single one, then I don't know anyone who who gets through that and doesn't either burn out and go live in a field somewhere or <laughs> or worse uh, or, you know, or or. Uh, you know, end up uh, addicted to something that that it takes that pain away. Uh, so it's got it. You've got to find the fun in it. You've got to find the enjoyment in it. I mean, there there are so many fights that can also be a celebration. You know, uh, tree sits and pipeline fights can be a celebration of the land you're protecting at the same time. And that doesn't mean that you know when the police come and they're cracking skulls while you're trying to to stop a pipeline. That doesn't mean that 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 part's going to be uh, all shits and giggles uh i get that but there, there's a lot of time in between those moments that should be uh celebratory um that is amazing uh any other questions from our other panelists here before we you know um yeah lee uh what's your favorite book oh that's a tough one 
Uh, I'm sorry, I'm hitting you with the the heavy. Yeah, you, you're, you're you're hitting me with the ones where where a list of about sixty goes through my head. Um, well, if you had what? to narrow it down to five, like if you had a top five. <laughs> well, I I could say you know favorite is a is an interesting term, but I could say there are certain books that uh, definitely changed my life in one form or another. Um, one was Catch Twenty Two. The you know I don't I don't read much fiction, but Catch-22 showed me that, and Joseph Heller showed me that you could make humor out of just the darkest shit in the world. And and the humor almost was more real than the, the media coverage of these events. Like, you could, you could almost de- define reality in a more cutting way, even with humor, than, than without. And so Catch-22 was very powerful for me to realize that, like, you know, how dark humor could be useful and could be a, a powerful weapon. Um, you know, uh, John Perkins' Confessions of an Economic Hitman helped me wake up to the, hmm. the economic war that has been a great book. amazing book, just been perpetrated on, on so many people around the world. Um, and and you know my my friend Peter Joseph has done some really amazing work. The the Zeitgeist Movement book, uh, you know, even you don't have to subscribe to the Zeitgeist Movement to read that book, and it just defines our reality, uh, the reality of a capitalist world so well with so yeah. many. You know, it's all sourced and numbers, and you know, it's the nerdiest thing in the world. But if you want to know the 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 studies and the numbers behind. Uh, the destruction of the planet that we're currently wisp- uh, witnessing, then that's the book for it. And he then created the new human rights movement book, which uh, which kind of takes the, the the scientific studies kind of of the of the first book and and make it a, a more palatable read and in uh, a more uh, you know maybe interesting way. And I, I think people should check that one out as well. And again, you know, it, it sounds because it's got the word movement in it. People think like, oh, you have to sign up and get a badge and a card you keep in your wallet. Like you can learn a shitload from these books without being part of, you know, you don't have to go to a club meeting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, lastly, what do you think is since I mean, you know, uh, maybe you'll disagree. But um, since there doesn't appear to be much hope electorally for the people, uh, what do you think is the best way for us to affect wider change uh, in the world that we are faced with, which is rapidly uh, getting even more dire? Yeah, I so, yeah, I, I'm glad you asked that, because a lot of people want to funnel all of their energy into electoral politics, and I'm not saying don't talk about it, but it should be 5% of your discussions of how to change the world. And you should have 95% uh, discussions in other other manners, other efforts, because our, our, country, our, our country and our government is, and it is the most powerful country in the world, is uh, owned by the ruling elite, but simply owned by billionaires. $14.4 billion spent on the last election. Uh, the, the, the candidate that spends the most amount of money wins roughly 90% of the time in Congress. But if you count the two most candidate, the candidates who spend the most money, who both spend millions, then they win 100% of the time. Hmm. And a large Princeton study found that we are an oligarchy that is ruled by a tiny ruling elite uh, of business interests. The, the people do not get like 0% of the time, get what they want through Congress unless it already aligns with corporate interests. So, so 
you understand all that, and then you have to think exactly what your question is. Well, okay, we're 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 beyond electoral. And again, I don't say don't vote. I actually say everybody should vote because uh, yeah. locally and statewide, you can have more impact than federally. But to, so beyond that, it, it it does come down to these movements, and I think the movements need to unite. And again, I I don't claim to be an organizer, and uh, great organizers are uh, amazing human beings, um, but. I think they need to unite to make a difference. I think that you should realize that, you know, if you're an environmentalist, you should be at the factory farm protests. And if you're a factory farm protester, you should be at the environment, you know, the environmental or the pipeline protests. These things are all interconnected. They're all linked. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a prison, uh, abolitionist or even just better rights for inmates protester you should be at the anti-racism protest because those these things are all linked all they're all intersect yeah and so i i think it, it comes down to uh communities and, and activists uniting to fight for change um now that being said i i i don't uh i don't minimize the effect of of putting out important thoughts and ideas out there like uh, thought thought viruses can be very powerful and uh, i think <laughs> okay. i think we we need to keep doing it and we need to obviously fight censorship in order to achieve that but um you know getting the ideas out there and and new ideas ideas that are are not just allowed in the the corporate talking points but it's so tempting to go towards what gets the most clicks towards uh, who's right. going to what what story is is going to do the best online and of course that's often going to be the what i normally call the soap opera of politics it's going to be uh aoc said this and ted cruz said that and 99 percent of that doesn't matter at all <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so it seems like you're doing something important talking about the ruling elite and what they're up to but unless you're linking it to the deeper battles the deeper core issues then you have fallen for kind of the smoke and mirrors of it all yeah. How do you feel about a general strike as a uh, as a, you know, sort of a big a big way to get a lot of different things done? I think a general general strike could be incredibly powerful. I, I do think it would have to involve, you know, very large unions and things to uh, signing on. So to, you know, to just to just announce, hey, guys, I think we should have a general strike April 15th or whatever. Like, uh, I don't know that that does much, but. The discussion of how important strikes are and how much change they can create, I think, is a, a very good one. Uh, OK, now uh, just tell us where we can find you and we're going to let you go. And uh, I just want to say personally, thank you for everything you have done. You helped me personally break like my, you know, uh, kind of centrism, like no nothingism, uh, and be like, oh, yeah, wait, you can go a little bit further and actually learn. Exactly. More. So really appreciate Thanks. that. Oh, that means so much. Um, yeah, I'm just patreon.com slash Lee Camp. Uh, like I mentioned, if I can grab enough members or find enough members, then uh, I will create something that uh, has some sort of feel like Redacted Tonight and keep getting the issues out there. Um, I think the lowest level is about $1 a week, roughly. Uh, and so, yeah, if people want to go over there and check that out and see if it's something you might be able to do. And uh, beyond that... Um, I created a media site called radindymedia.com that is not a moneymaker. It's not, there's no sponsors, there's no ads. It's just putting a bunch of great left voices all every day on the, on the front page and it's a great link, site. link straight to their stuff. So you can, you can learn about the issues every single day and it doesn't go to corporate garbage media. And uh, that's radindymedia.com. But yeah, patreon.com slash Lee camp is the main one. All right. 
thank you so much. And well, thanks, thank Lee, you. and we'd love to have you back. Absolutely, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, for watching, and we will see you again soon.